Welcome to the Recon Podcast. In this episode, I'll be talking with Bailey, Recon member Dog Boy Bailey, about one of the fetish scene's most taboo subjects, politics. In his article on fetish and anti-fascism, Dog Boy Bailey challenges our stance on kink and politics and the correlation between fetish and anti-fascism. Is politics really such a dirty word? Enjoy the episode. Okay, I want to try to get to the bottom of what's probably the first thing that comes to everyone's mind, uh, and that is, you know, just why is politics such a taboo subject on the kink scene? Um, hopefully some or most of you have had the opportunity to read Bailey's article, which is posted on the Recon blog at the start of April. In his article, another thing he writes, I say in quotes, Politics is rarely the conversation topic of choice among fetish friends. If we can organize to talk about how much we love sports socks and trainers, surely there is a place to talk about more pertinent issues at play. And I think I'd have to agree with him on this. You know, over the past years, we've talked about a number of public and global political issues uh, like Black Lives Matter. We talk about race and racism on the scene and the struggles with Black, Brown and Asian members on the platform. Uh, we talked about things like gender and queer identity, old guard versus new guard. And we've done a podcast, member features and another open discussion with trans men on the kink scene as well. We stood in solidarity with Ukraine, and for the past 16 years, we've supported a number of charities around the world, as well as doing our own campaign in the continued fight against AIDS. And let's not forget about two hot topics in the kink scene, PrEP and fetish visibility at Pride. This is all political activism. So if people say that they have issues with politics, then I can understand where they stand on these particular topics. And, you know, I know that most of you who are listening uh, care very deeply about these issues and also fight for most, if not all of them. So I want to understand what the fuss is all about when people start mentioning the P word, the other P word, politics, not the other one, but the politics word, uh, you know, when we're in fetish circles. I think I'm probably very fortunate to be a part of a group of friends where we're actually able to have these types of higher levels of conversation. And I'm sure some of you are as well. Um, but I can't understand that people just often want to completely turn a blind eye to things which are so relevant uh, and poignant. So I think it's time to bring our incredible guest on now. So there was no way we could publish an article so strong and poignant, yet politically controversial, and not bring the author on to have a chat about his inspiration for the article. Uh, and just to remind you, if you've forgotten it, it was based on fetish and anti-fascism, and it is available on the Recon blog. So please welcome Dog Boy Bailey to the podcast. Um, hi, hi, how are you? Hello, hello. I'm good, thank you. Good. So I'd like you to just introduce yourself. Tell us a bit about who you are, where you're from, where you live, um, what you get up to in your kink life and your everyday non-kink life. Um, let's hear from you. Okay. Hi, uh, I'm Bailey. Uh, I'm a 28-year-old 20 puppy uh, living in Paris. Uh, I'm originally from London. Um, I've been uh, into kink for about nearly two years now. 
Um, in my kink life, I do some modeling. I do uh, some political activism, as you as you're well aware. Uh, I run a page called Positive Influence that tries to... Um, uh, it tries to tackle uh, important issues in the public community, but also in other communities and various various things. Um, and in my non-day-to-day life, uh, I'm an academic and I focus on radicalization uh, and um, uh, extremism. So I've published in the past, I've published research on um, Islamic radicalization in France. I've also looked at uh, media stigmatization um, uh, and various other things. So I, I have quite an academic background, but also quite a uh, quite an interesting one. I would have to say that when I first read the article, I thought your approach to the article was very, I can't say clever, it was very well thought out. It was very eloquent and it was very obvious that you had taken the time to do quite a fair bit of research before actually writing. Um, and it's evident. Uh, that you did. And I want to thank you for doing that, you know, rather than submitting a bit of, uh, you know, verbal diarrhea, which can so often happen and then people get completely the wrong concept about it. Um, So I want to thank you for that. Uh, And saying that, uh, I've got a two-part question for you. Well, maybe it's two separate questions. And the first question that probably everybody wants to know is what made you write this article? I would say, you know, in terms of my experience uh, working in anti-extremism and counter-radicalization, it's something that uh, I know quite a lot about and I've tried to really engage in lots of different forms of extremism. So, you know, the fascism that I speak about in the article is more, you know, more looking at far-right extremism, but there is far-left extremism as well. It should be it should be noted that, um, you know, in terms of academic research, there is maybe more research done on the far right, but there also are other types of fascism. So that's just one thing. Um, I think part of my upbringing and who I am as a person, I think, really led me to uh, to write this article. Um, I'll be I'll be brief and precise, but in terms of who I am as a person, I identify as a Londoner. I identify as a British person, but my family's history is quite interesting. Uh, on my grandmother's side, uh, she's half, uh, on my mother's side, sorry, um, she's half Indian, half German Jewish, uh, Indian meaning native Indian, not a uh, British colonizer. Um, and on my father's side, uh, Jewish again, uh, Ashkenazi Jewish from Hungary. So, you know, in terms of how fascism has affected my life, I mean, there has been, you know, an interesting uh, convergence in terms of looking at my family's history and looking at, you know, my place with, within all of that. Um, I think also, you know, looking at how I've been brought up. So I've been brought up by a single parent, feminist, lesbian mother um, in London, but also in Northern England. Um, and when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I did receive actually quite a lot of abuse for being Jewish by people who, you know, stated they were part of the English Defence League Um and it's interesting because when I spoke to my mother about some of these issues, it was mirroring her own experiences of growing up in 1970s Britain, uh, being called a packy by people who supported the National Front. So I think there is, you know, definitely I, my life has been impacted by fascism, racism and discrimination, um, but also my ancestors. So, you know, I mentioned that my grandmother was German Jewish and my, you know, my 
my father's family are Hungarian uh, Jewish. The majority of my family are dead. Um, and I think it's important to recognize that, you know, four or five hours from Berlin, um, my ancestors and lots of different types of people, including gays, including uh, Roma, gypsies, all, all kinds of people uh, were, you know, gassed and burned not far from where we now celebrate our freedom. So I think it's, it's there, there is a convergence on so many different levels. Um, but what pushed me to, to really um, speak about this issue is looking at, you know, how we've become politically uh, pacified. Uh, growing up, you know, I went to Pride as a, as a young child, even when I was in my mother's womb. And I think that it's important that younger people, you know, I'm 28. So, you know, I'm not really young. I'm not really old. I'm kind of, I guess I'm middle-aged. Um, Steady on there. <laughs> I, think, I think it's important that younger people are engaged in politics. And sometimes it takes, you know, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of, uh, I don't know, a motivation to, to want to engage yourself in politics. I think it's important that older people are engaged in politics as well. You know, I'm, quite a number of years older than you um and but i remember also in my very early 20s i'm guessing it always starts in our in our early life um when we realize that there is something that we feel very passionately about fighting for um and i guess i've always been a little bit of an activist uh myself in my younger years where i grew up in a in a culture which was extremely conservative and extremely religious um and i thought i had a an obligation to not hide but to speak out and not just for myself but potentially maybe to be a little bit of a voice for other people I knew who were, let's say, suffering from discrimination and couldn't speak up for themselves. Of course, we all had a lot to lose by speaking up, especially coming from such a really small country where, you know, your neighbor knows if you fart. And, but a stance has got to be made at some point in our lives. Um, we have to think about the things we believe in, uh, the things we stand for and how the fight that we put up will actually help to shape our future if we didn't. I mean, and I think it's one of the things, again, that I, I never understand that people always, okay, not that they want to run away from the issues. And I understand that everybody doesn't maybe have the courage. I'm not sure if courage is the right word or the wrong word, but it, it does take some courage to actually, you know, get on the box and, and bring your voice forward. For me, it's more about a kind of a disposition because if you if you look at your experience of growing up um, and my experience, we grew up in different times with different families, different kind of cultural expectations, different political environments. I grew up in an environment where I was emancipated from birth. I was allowed to be who I was. I'm allowed to be who I am today. And it's kind of, for me, I feel it's some sort of moral and ethical kind of obligation to speak up, to talk about the things that matter because as you say, and this is very true, if we don't shape the future today, tomorrow is going to be even darker. So it's about really trying to, to, to use, it's really, really cliche, but I have to say this, I lead my, I don't lead my life by this quote, but this quote has really stuck with me. I know it's only the first 10 minutes of the podcast and I'm quoting Nelson Mandela. But, <laughs> um, he says, to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. And that is how I live my life. That's how I live my life. And I'm not apologetic for it. 
I don't think you should be. I think none of us should be. And I think in in saying this also, it's also the thing that, yes, it's right for young people to be political and for them to be activists. But I think as we get older, we shouldn't forget what we did when we were younger and also the impact that it has on our lives today and what impact it has on the lives of the future of the younger people who are coming up behind us. Mm-hmm. So I think... You know, if you were a young activist, I don't think you should just suddenly decide you're going to retire from fighting for what you believe in because you turn 38, 48 or 58. Mm. You know, there are some things, you know, as the world improves and the world opens and there are lots of things that have changed historically, especially when we talk about um, in a mainstream context, not necessarily in a fetish or king context, but fighting for gay rights. Um it's incredible to think that this is still going, you know, this year coming up 2022 will be the 50th anniversary of the Pride in London March. And in celebration of this, you know, they're going back to the old, very original Pride route from Hyde Park Corner to Whitehall. And I can imagine how poignant this was, how important this was for the people back then. And 50 years later, I'm really hopeful that some of the people who, if they're blessed to still be around, uh, were part of the first march. I hope those people come out and still remember that those of us younger behind them, we are still fighting for the same things. It's really important for me because of my mother's history uh, being a lesbian, growing up, you know, marching at Pride, uh, just, you know, losing a lot of people in the AIDS crisis, things like this. You know, my mother has a very specific uh, impact on me and the way I view our struggle, uh, the view, I, the way I view solidarity. And I see my action today as, you know, my mother passed me the torch. Yeah. And I have to lead. It's it's not for me to shy away from the issues that are uncomfortable. If I give up now or we become complacent or pacified, we we enjoy the freedoms and progress without a recognition of the sacrifice and struggle that it took to get here. And the struggle and sacrifice is simply not over. You know, and that's something that we will talk about later. But I think it's important. It's, it has to be a guiding kind of motif within all of this, that this this is a singularity uh, in terms of our our progress and our continuation. And that it is for the younger people to be talking about those issues and talking loudly. The term you use, passing the torch, is really good. It's a good analogy. When we often talk, you know, in the fetish scene in the king community we always talk about the old guard versus new guard and the old guard um whatever this means for different people you know basically passing the torch and handing down the traditions and the rights and the beliefs uh the guidelines if we can call them that to the younger generation of kingsters coming up and i think politics in kink or politics in fetish should also be a part of this torch that is handed down. So that brings us to the other question, you know, when we think about it, is politics such a dirty word? Why why do you think it is such a dirty word on the fetish scene? It's a difficult, it's a difficult one to answer because dirty doesn't mean one specific thing. It can mean taboo. It can mean complicated. It can mean complex. It can just mean uncomfortable. But I think in terms of the way um, some people you know, some people perceive politics as something that maybe doesn't involve them. Maybe it's something that's already going on and it affects their lives, but we feel perhaps powerless, you know. And I think that the idea that politics is a dirty word, that we shouldn't mention it, that when we're in kink spaces or in queer spaces or in um, 
uh, in gay spaces or in general social interaction that politics is maybe something that should be seen as more personal or maybe just something that people don't want to talk about. I recognize that. I do recognize why people have an uncomfortable relationship with politics, especially politics that affects their own lives and the lives of people they love and care about. Um, I don't think it has to be controversial. I don't think it has to be a taboo subject. I think we need to emancipate ourselves away from this view that politics can be separate. It should be separated. I think it's an option to separate it. And I think some people do it unwillingly and some people do it willingly. And I think there shouldn't be a judgment if, you know, some people who don't want to talk about politics while they have a drink in full rubber, then that is their right. And I do not think that they should be bullied into speaking about politics or not speaking about politics. I just think that there, you know, there should be a space for it. Um, and the longer that we stigmatize people's political views in the space, the longer we don't have that conversation and the longer that we become sectarian in our views and in the way our community is grouped. And I think that this is the antithesis of progress. I think we need to talk, conversation, put conversation back into the community. I think an important part of putting the conversation back is, first of all, I guess, getting people to recognize. It's a kind of raising the flag, you know, to say, look, there is an issue here. There is something here which we should be thinking about. Even if you don't want to fight or debate or, you know, go on the street and march about this issue, there is an issue. And you shouldn't be walking around in the bliss of ignorance about whatever the issue might be. And the one you raise in the article is one I think we're probably all aware of. And I think it's really very interesting because when I read the article the first time, um, I had to think to myself, like, what the fuck is going to happen when <laughs> we publish this? Should we publish it? And then, I, and then I thought, and and then, it's the fan. <laughs> yeah. And then I thought, you know what? Fuck it. This is, this is, we cannot turn the blind eye. Um, even if we don't want to, you know, march down the street and shout, um, we cannot turn the blind eye because it's, there is such a crossover within our King community. When we talk about, you know, sim the symbolism or, you know, as you start out, you know, in the article, you, I will say you very eloquently made the connection between fetish and fascism, um, which you put into three parts. And I'd like to maybe have a little bit of chat about the, the three bits. And I think it will be important for kinkses and fetish people or anybody in general who's listening to kind of understand exactly this point of how we can maybe recognize these things and not saying that we have to fight about it um, or not saying that we have to ignore it, uh, but we should at least recognize that this these symbols, these issues, these things are there. Um, the first thing you talked about was aesthetics and I'd, I'd, I'd let you explain it to, to our listeners. Okay, so I chose aesthetics to be the first kind of topic that we, 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 uh, we look at in the article. Um, and I think it's important because it's often uh, can be the most glaring, uh, clear view of the links between fascism and fetish. I think that aesthetics are something that are quite important in our community, especially with kind of, you know, the use of the gear to kind of maybe um, position yourself in the community or position yourself within a certain space. Um, so in terms of aesthetics, uh, one of the first and most glaring, obvious kind of things is the fetishization of uniforms. 
Um, and it's quite interesting because obviously uniforms uh, are the symbol of power. It's a very, very clear um, sign of authority, uh, particularly military um, military uniforms. Um, and in, in terms of looking at specific uh, fetishizations of uniforms, I mean, we couldn't go without saying the fetishization of Nazi uniforms. And there's actually quite a lot of research about this. Uh, when I did research about fetish and fascism, uh, one of the one of the things I found quite early on was the fetishization of the SS uniform, specifically the SS uniform. Um, and if you look a little bit deeper, you can clearly see the kind of the repurposing or maybe the the reference to the SS uniform in Tom of Finland. Um, and it was quite interesting because as I was kind of mulling this over in my head, I went back to my mother's house for Christmas and she had a book that was published in 1995 about queer discussion and thought about art. And one of the chapters was dedicated to Tom of Finland. And as I was looking through it, there was a passage, I can't remember it, I won't try and quote it, but it was talking about some of the pushback actually in the early days of Tom of Finland about his fascination um, and use of the Nazi, um, the Nazi uniform and what that means for people who like Tom of Finland, people who see themselves or model maybe their, their own personal aesthetic. I see many leather men who do obviously take important, um, important motifs and, and kind of aesthetic values from um, the code kind of established by Tom of Finland and his artwork. Um, and it is interesting. It's, it's something that we can try and say, no, they're just wearing leather and no, they're, but it is clear and it's i am not the first person to make this connection i think that's important to say it's it's something that has been kind of quite documented in thomas finland's um eroticization of uh, the nazi uh, persona i think it's it's something uncomfortable but it's also a really good place to start i'm glad that we brought this one up i mentioned in a previous uh like a discussion panel maybe um about going to a fetish bar somewhere in uh, Europe a few years ago and there was a venue we were looking at to do an event and I remember speaking to the manager and saying oh I'm arriving in town this day I'd like to come that night and he's like oh no no that's not a good night come the following night and but I had friends who were going out that night and so I thought okay the bar is, is a venue that can be split into two parts um, and so the friends were having this other gear social a rubber gear social in the other part of the venue and I'd never actually been to the space before, so I didn't realize there was a second door that I should have gone through. So I went through the door that I knew and I walk in and <laughs> standing before me, it's really awkward because there's this, I walk in the door and all the heads just like swing around and look because there's me, this little black guy, all dressed in rubber, I walk into the space and standing before me in this particular section of the bar is a room full of leather clad guys, all dressed in authentic Nazi SS uniforms. And I just thought like, what the fuck did I just walk into? And I can imagine what they were thinking because I'm sure they wouldn't have expected somebody like me to walk through the door. So it was like a deer in headlights on both sides. And it was interesting because the venue manager was also like standing behind the bar, of course, in full getup. And he looked at me really quite sheepishly and I think quite ashamedly as well. And, and it was really quite 
interesting. And, and he just kind of like motioned to me to go to this other door, to go to the other side. And he sent me a crazy email the following day, but I wasn't quite sure, you know, what to say to him afterwards. And it was interesting to me. I mean, we know that it happens, but it was interesting to actually witness it, to experience it, to see it firsthand. It's like, oh my God, people are really doing this. And gay men, gay kinksters are really doing this. And I think the question that I know that other people have asked me, um, and the question I would ask you is, can someone enjoy the aesthetic of the uniform, wear the uniform, or just be sexually turned on by it and be disconnected from what it originally represents? It is a, it, it's interesting because I think certain people have different connections with Nazism. Um, certain people have different views of Nazism and different understandings of Nazism. So I think it's, it's really important to take a non-judgmental attitude towards this and try to understand some of the motivations. And many of the motivations are subconscious motivations. They are not motivations that are easy to explain and are not comfortable to explain. Um, we all know as Kingsters, if something makes your bone twitch, sometimes yeah. don't question it. And it's, you can do that. You can be uh, turned on and aroused and fetishize things that are not conventional. Um, and that's, that's valid. That's valid. If that's how your body and your mind and your, and your, and your feeling responds to it, you shouldn't be blamed for it. But there should also be a recognition of what that might represent and why that's problematic for others. I think it is except it is possible to be disconnected from it. I think it's the level, maybe the motivation for disconnection is an, an interesting conversation. Do you disconnect because you feel bad or do you disconnect because maybe you don't really even see the obvious connection? Just to go back on one small um, thing, the interesting experience of you going into this room and seeing all these men dressed as Nazis, um, I know that in some queer parties in Paris, military insignia and uh, uniforms in general are banned. They are, they are they are not accepted because yeah. of the stigma and because of the the trauma that it would represent for for lots of people. Um, and I think it's it's interesting that that is a very in some in some spaces a very explicit dress code that it's not is not welcomed. And that that clearly shows that difficult relationship uh, between the military and 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 the law enforcement in general and communities that form part of a kink community. It gets really interesting because, I mean, we all know that on the recon platform, this kind of symbolism is completely banned. There is no even discussion about it. You know, you're wearing any kind of Nazi or SS symbolism, if it's on your tattooed on your body or in something that you're wearing, um, it's completely banned. It's outright. And one of the things that makes it very interesting is I had a really good chat with someone, and I'm sure he's going to be listening to this podcast very closely, who trusted me enough to tell me that he is absolutely fascinated, also the same, by the look of, you know, the SS uniforms and that it gives him an absolute raging boner. He's not quite sure why. And he was, it was literally, we had a really good conversation, like an hour and a half, almost two hours. And, but he just knows that he's, you know, he doesn't stand for or support in any way, shape or form, anything that's, you know, 
right wing or extreme, but there is something about the look. So here, of course, you talk about the aesthetic and there's something about the look that people find generally very sexy and very appealing. It's very alluring. And I also wonder, I know just one second, I also wonder on the point of when we talk about Tom of Finland's fascination with it, I wonder whether or not his sexualizing this look is something that maybe has been implanted that maybe for us we shouldn't always see this as threatening once upon a time it was threatening but let's just take it let's let's own it let's claim it let's do something else with it let's sexualize it it's a reclaiming and perhaps a rationalization on his part i mean um i think it's 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 very interesting looking at you know people with this kind of almost a censorship of nazism uh, in our king spaces which i think makes sense um with the issues regarding Tom of Finland, I mean, he, in some ways, in many respects, it's a reclaiming of that to make it sexy. I think it's also kind of important to mention, I mean, I am not attracted to uh, Nazis. I would make that quite clear. Um, and this is a controversial comment, but hopefully not too controversial. Um, the designer of a lot of these outfits was Hugo Boss. This is something that's yes. documented. Oh, and completely. The aesthetic, you know, the interesting thing here is generally, if you look at aesthetics generally, the aesthetic um, importance within the Third Reich was very strong. There was a flag, there was a symbol, there was a dress code. And I think there is a, you know, a propensity perhaps to have an unconscious, not respect for it, but a recognition of those things coming together the suits, the way that they're dressed, the level of authority, the fact that if you look at the archetype Aryan, it's it's very much, you know, blonde eye, blue yeah. hair. No, <laughs> blue eyes, blonde hair. That was <laughs> yeah. um, and I think it's it's understandable. I, I, I don't share that fascination, but it's also, you know, one, one man's very, very smart outfit is another man's yeah. suit. So it's... It's not that far removed from things that are already fetishized that we don't, you know, it's what it represents, yeah. I think. I think it's, you know, we all know when we're talking about, you know, this aesthetic, you know, that there are things related to uh, bluff uniforms, to skinheads and other types of nationalist symbols that run around, uh, you know. And I think when you your next point you talk about is uh, ideology. Um which I think ties in very nicely here because, you know, in it, you talk about certain fetish concepts which have really dark roots of history um, used by fascists and their ideologues. And I don't want to necessarily stay focused on, you know, Nazism and SS uniforms. Um, but there's also this, you know, this concept you talk about of it being um, all this aesthetic symbolism when it comes to fascism being related to power and, you know, when you talk about ideology, you talk about hypermasculinity and the power dynamic, uh, a sense of hierarchy, degradation and humiliation. And we know that these are things which are very prominent throughout, um, you know, the fetish, the king community. When it comes to certain types of play that people want to engage in, they feature quite highly. And I wonder, you know, I mean, we know that people... There are a lot of kingsters who want to be overpowered or others who want to dominate. And where do you think the correlation here lies? 
I think it's 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 interesting because a lot of the a lot of especially the leather community, um, the and even skinheads for that matter. One of the reasons why uh, a lot of these uniforms had been adopted was actually for a form of protection to kind of mold into a group that didn't have uh, was quite hostile towards us. I think the issue with power uh, and power play and the dynamics of this um, are very personal to each person. Uh, there's different reasons for wanting to be dominated or to dominate others. Sometimes it's, I see it as maybe a reflection of our feeling of maybe powerlessness or maybe a reassertion of our power. Um, I think it can be, I don't know. I think it, it's, 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 it's a difficult question to answer. Maybe if we could rephrase the question. I mean, well, think about it like this. When we look at very often, especially within the leather community, the dom, the master, what is he wearing? What are they wearing? Nine times out of 10, it's very often some uniform symbol, um, which of course goes back to this aesthetic, which gives people the feeling of power. So it's almost like having someone who looks like a figure of authority, basically having power over them. And we know also how much of a sexual turn on and how gratifying mm, this is for so many people within their Kingston community, you know, who doesn't like a leather daddy uh, you know, or a leather guy in a full bluff suit, yeah. you know, to be, to have a boy on the ground, you know, licking his boots or being his, his yeah. sub or his, you know, and you see this, this clear image of dominance and submission, but that dominance comes with a very particular look. Yeah, and I think the look is almost kind of a level of a group dynamic where you put on a uniform and you belong to, you clearly identified, you know, when you see uh, the leather men um, standing outside smoking their cigars, you know, I don't think they really like cigars. I think it's for the look, but that's a different thing. <laughs> um, Shh, um, we won't tell them that. Um, but I think it's, you know, it is about uh, exhibiting a power dynamic, but also doing it in a way that is, is, uh, the power dynamic comes with the uniform, but the uniform also comes with the power dynamic, you know? Yeah. I think it's kind of an interchange between that. Um, there definitely is, you know, the, in terms of hyper-masculization and how we, how we idolize masculinity, I think it's interesting because there's a real interplay in our community between masculinity. So there's the sub, femme, bottom, whatever that even means. It's all subjective. And then you have the top who is very dominant, masculine, you know, it's almost this this over masculinity, you know, something that's almost sometimes I find it almost a parody of itself. I think it's a bit ridiculous, but for others, it's a way of affirming their power. And I respect that. I mean, it's, it's, it's we all have our own hangups and links to uh, masculinity and hyper-masculinity is a way of uh, exerting ourselves. And maybe in, in a general level of society, we're not accepted as traditionally masculine or what that means. Um, one quick side note, I think masculinity is something that you know, has a different bearing in different cultures, different times, different people, different ages. It's something that's actually very, very um, subjective. Um, but in terms of, you know, the uniform, I think, yes, uh, power dynamics are a very important part of BDSM culture and kink culture. And it's understandable that, you know, the being easily identified as a dominant or, or submissive is actually part of the play. It's part of the game. It's part yeah. of the the... the are seen. It's part of who we are. Well, I mean, it's part of the escapism and it's also yeah. part of the switching from your everyday life into this other you that you want to bring to the forefront. That's you know, it's one of the things that we talk about very often is how 
your mannerisms and how your attitude, your stance, your speech, your body language changes when you're in your gear versus when you're in your everyday dress mode. And you did mention one good thing, which I think is also very good to mention here, which is that, you know, when it comes to these kinds of fetish scenarios, um, that it's most often carried out by consenting adults for sexual gratification, accompanied by mutual respect and a discussion of limits. And we have to say that having this as a set standard by which you play is really good. And I think really helps people to understand where they are in their fetish sense and where they could potentially cross the line into another very dangerous area if they don't have these kinds of limits or these discussions before they play. I think, I think limits are definitely a very important discussion. And I think in general, you know, the way we establish hierarchy um, in our community is very much about the, you know, the use of uh, the way we establish um, hierarchy in our community depends on trust and consent and understanding of of each other's desires and needs. So, yeah, I think limits and and the idea of consent are really important in our community and are often, you know, established hierarchies are, you know, are formed through that and the way we we depend on, on trust and respect um and it's it's very important to yeah to mention the fact that respect consent and understanding of between partners is is at the base of our community and personally i think it's something that should be reinforced uh, especially when you're in settings where uh you know there are elements of submission and domination i think you know for me sometimes personally in my opinion some of the best doms are actually subs because they understand that dynamic, that interplay, and the, the very, the very important nuances um, that are marks of respect uh, and marks of, you know, of of mutual love in many respects. Absolutely. I think the third thing that you mentioned was be that person, and you said be unafraid and unapologetic to mention politics in your fetish circle call out reactionary or borderline comments and views and choose the high road. Um, how do you put this into practice? I mean, apart from, okay, you've, you know, you've taken the chance to write the article, send it to us. How, what else are you doing here? I think, you know, the idea of being that person, when I, when I wrote, you know, that person, obviously I put it between, uh, in, in brackets. And I think, that being that person, it requires a level of engagement that isn't, there's quite a level, a personal level of engagement. So, you know, you have to put your yourself at risk, unfortunately. If you're talking about controversial issues, if you're talking about things that are not always uh, easy or complex, you, you have to, as I say, put your balls on the block. You know, these are my, for instance, in my experience, I'm talking from my own experience. And it's not, uh, it's not to say that people are right or wrong, but if you hear comments or really things that you don't agree with, challenge it. Talk to people. Start the conversation. Saying that, I say in the article, you know, don't call someone a fascist. It doesn't help. Fascism is often not very well defined and misunderstood. It deflects from the issue of what you're talking about. But it's very important that if you are, you know, your friends are saying things, and it doesn't have to just pertain to fascism. I mean, it, in general, if you are in a situation and someone maybe that you have a, a close relationship to, or even just a relationship that you, you know, uh, says something that's out of line, it's kind of your responsibility if you feel uncomfortable with it to say something. You don't have to say anything. It's, it's up to you. But I think it's, it's important that we live ourselves authentically. I'm not going to go and write an article 
about fascism and then someone turns around and uses the n-word or starts talking badly about jewish people and i'm just going to sit there being like oh well now it's not the time to talk about politics it's important to make politics um you know a normal part of conversation is a normal part of our lives and it should be especially in the kink community if people are talking not just not just about you know fascism but politics in general i think it's important to have a wide a wide range of opinions um and the only way we can get those opinions is by having a conversation it's it's it seems amazing that we can sit and talk about socks and trainers and fisting techniques but we can't figure out how to talk about who we're <laughs> going to vote for in an upcoming presidential election we can talk about all the candidates for our rubber elections our puppy elections that's great but you know there are issues which affect all of our freedoms and uh, the level of tolerance that we get to enjoy and that's politics unfortunately and sometimes we can try and avoid it, but you Absolutely. know the longer we avoid it the the less control we have yeah um, and i have a question for you when um, you sent the article to us did you think that we would agree to publish it it's an interesting question because as an academic when i've published articles before um with other other places i obviously do a little bit of research before before mm. you go in you know i wouldn't send something to a to a place that would obviously not be interested so i had a little look through some of the articles that you've done and i was thinking mm, these articles seem quite specific about specific kinks and very specific personal experiences of living a fetish life and then i saw issue three and i was like okay okay i understand that they are starting to talk about politics and that's a good thing and i also thought you know recon is a global platform and reference for the fetish community and i thought what better place to start a conversation i think it's you know i i looked at other publications which i'm not going to mention because it's not about a competition or anyway a slagging match people do their own things they have different styles different styles and different formats but i felt that recon had a certain level of credibility in the sense, especially with the Black Lives Matter um, issue before. And I felt that actually it represented such a wide group of people that it was essential that, uh, you know, that it was proposed. Did I think you were going to publish it? I knew, and I remember in the first email I sent you, that I was very, I was not naive by the fact that you'd be, you know, putting yourself out on a limb, Um publishing this and going along with it. I knew that. And that's why I wrote it with the level of attention it deserved and that it needed. It was such a complicated uh, and complex subject that I knew that I had to do it justice. And I, I feel I have, and I'm happy that you feel the same. But I think it's also sometimes if you don't find, not necessarily a media outlet, but maybe a place uh, to express your view, sometimes you have to express it and you'll be surprised. You know, I think that it's, Recon is a social network as well. It's not just somewhere to find sex. In my opinion, it's not just a, a somewhere to find sex. There is a social element to it. And I think that part of being social is having conversations. And Ooh, that one I'll get back to. So <laughs> as I said earlier, you know, when you sent it in, I definitely had to read it a few times to try and understand whether or not anything you wrote, you know, had the potential to leave some of our read our readers, you know, feeling a bit uneasy or triggered. And I thought, ah, fuck it. If they're feeling triggered, then that is a good thing, because this is precisely what we want these types of articles and these types of subjects to do. I think we cannot forget, as you say, that we are not just a place for 
sex, fun, fisting, and frolicking. But we are also, we, we have become in the past years much more of a community space than we have done previously. And I think both things should really uh, be in tune and we should try to balance them out. Yes, a lot of the articles are around fun and sexy things, but we also cannot forget that we should also be talking about the things that are really important to us. So I thought, okay, if they're feeling triggered, they're really attuned to the subject. Um, and right now I want to have a little break. Let's take a pause. But when we come back, um, let's see if they'll tell us or if we have things that came from people about what they thought about discussing such a taboo subject. We'll be right back. Need something tight and shiny for a special event? Want ideas for your next session? At Regulation, we're stocking thousands of products, including leather, rubber, toys, electro, restraints, and playroom furniture. Now shipping worldwide, or get free UK shipping when you spend over £25. Visit our London store or shop online at regulation.co.uk. Regulation. Kink. Delivered. So welcome back from our break. Um, before the break, um, you know, we were talking about people reading your article and potentially feeling triggered. And my, I guess my first question on that would be, you know, were you prepared uh, for the fact that publishing this article on such a t- touchy subject might potentially piss off uh, some people? Um, I definitely, as I said, I read it a few times and I wanted to understand whether or not there were any points in it, which I personally found triggering. And as someone who's been so immersed in the scene for such a long time, I, I mean, I've seen just about it all. Um, and I think about people's reactions whether or not they're going to be good or bad it's one thing in this in this job that i've had to learn um is that we have to be prepared for what people give back and we have to take the good with the bad and try to make it all constructive when possible it's not always possible sometimes i may want to strangle one or two people but that's just the nature of Humanity. Um, you know, we want to smack some people in the mouth sometimes. Um, not that we're condoning violence, but sometimes you read it and you think like, oh my God, how could someone actually say something like this? Who are you? What rock did you grow up under? You know, and how prepared were you for feedback on this article? What type of feedback did you think you would get? It's an interesting one because there's always that saying, isn't there, that all publicity is good publicity. And that's simply not true, is it, when it comes to these kind of issues? (laughs) And I knew that I was treading a very fine line. I knew that uh, some of the things that I was going to be saying were going to be controversial. Maybe some people would even feel targeted, which was not my intention in any way. And if if you do feel targeted, uh, that's something for you to deal with. That sounds like a you problem, not a me problem. Um, But I, I, I anticipated 
I honestly, when I when I when I started writing the article, I think there were some certain words that I changed and certain things that I, I changed the flow of the article. I assumed I would actually get quite a lot of negativity. I di- I did. I was thinking, you know, um, the fact that we were we were both so wary, you know, when we were speaking in preliminary about about this article and the ideas for the article, we were we were both very clear that this would be quite controversial. Um, and I know that there is a separation between politics. The, the whole point of this article is to make to talk about that problem. So it's it's it. I was not hiding my intentions or my views. I was going straight on to the point. Um, I was expecting uh, a lot of. I was actually expecting a lot of older people to be quite angry about this because I think that there 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 is a level of maybe as I said before, some people use their their kink lives to escape politics and often uh old older people have a slightly different relationship with politics because they grew up at a slightly different time and things like this and i also assumed that there might be some younger people saying to me well why are you talking about this you know we we have as i say in the article we have you know jock straps gay marriage and prep so why are you talking about this yeah. um and almost questioning uh, my my relevance in the conversation why, why would this be happening i didn't get any of it I didn't get any of it. And it's a lovely surprise to, to see the level of engagement, which we'll talk about in a moment. Yeah, it was really good. Acknowledgement that was from across the community, from across the world, in fact. Yeah, I would say after one of our uh, political, I say in quotes, one of our political pieces we posted, um, it wasn't surprising that the responses from so many members would be so extremely varied. Um, but there was one uh, thing that stuck out in my mind and it's you know that clear that politics is obviously triggering for so many different people on so many different levels and we know that you know you say one thing but you can't always determine how the reader was going to receive what you say and i remember after this one piece we had one person who wrote back to us and said recon i've almost copied the quote from his message to us exactly because I'm one of those people, as most of the people that work for Recon know, I don't delete very much. I, I save a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm a hoarder when it comes to You're messages. You're an oh, I'm a, I'm a complete archivist when it comes to emails. <laughs> Our poor IT guy, drive him crazy. Um, the guy's comment was, Recon is becoming all woke and politically correct. Um, you know, and he said, I'm here to fuck fist and have crazy kinky sex. I don't want to log on to recon and see anything about politics. I'm deleting my profile. And I thought his reaction towards what we were speaking about was quite extreme. And I don't know whether or not he was just trying to bury his head in the sand or whether he was one person who, as we said earlier, you know, they want to use their kink and their fetish as a form of escapism, you know, from everyday politics you know and here we are presenting them with something which is clearly political so we're almost in a way kind of forcing them to have a look at these issues when we do post them and i understand also why people might be triggered by certain things but my question would be um as things start to change, you know, that people think they don't have to fight anymore, you know, that the wave of tolerance and acceptance, both in terms of, you know, public policy, opinion and things, um, is making our, you know, our, our kinks as a community of pacifists. 
my first comment on this would be something very simple. Don't open your mouth for black cock if you're not going to speak about black lives. That's it. That's my view. Uh, what? People, you heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in terms of the classification of our community, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a growing shame, actually. And I think, you know, the, the gentleman, he speaks about the wokeness. I think there is this kind of level of virtual signaling where people feel maybe more politically active on social media, which does have its relevance, does have its power and its impact, no doubt. But I think there is a level of complacency, especially in the West, around um, certain issues that might uh, confront our community. Uh, and having grown up in an environment where the discussion about gay rights was something that would be had over the dinner table, um, for me, I, I, I despair at how politically um, passive we have become. Being passive is all well and good, but politically, uh, <laughs> I think it, it, it it's uncomfortable. Um, and I think it's actually very easy for, for our community to be even more discriminated against, sidelined and stigmatized when we are not a united political force. In the 1980s, I speak about it in the article, but in the 1980s, we had to pressure, not we, but my mother and her generation had to pressure the government to do something about the negligence about the, the deaths with AIDS, you know? And it wasn't uh, the kindness of the Reagan government or the Thatcher government of the day that suddenly saved and made made it public policy. It was people like ACT UP, as I say, going and staging die-ins. And it's that kind of now we have so many freedoms and 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 such a, you know, a progress that we've achieved, which is brilliant. But, you know, I don't, you know, People listening to this now are very aware that people get executed in X, Y, Z country, you know, that people are still very aware. But even, you know, on European soil in places like Hungary, there are issues to do with LGBT rights in Poland. And I think it's for us to say, actually, no, this is not the future we want. And it's very it's all well and good to share a story about someone about uh, about maybe a political issue that you're not, you know, happy about. But being politically passive, you know, you, you have to be authentic in your views. You have to, political pacification is exactly what our enemies want. They want us to feel that we've won when we haven't. They want us to, to stop the fight, to accept our position in society, to accept the injustices that others face because we have freedom. And I think it's really important that we put politics squarely, firmly and centrally back on the political agenda. And the gay agenda, for that matter, and the gay agenda, the whole supposed gay agenda, which is now apolitical in some people's minds. Oh, I know. That's another, that's a topic for a completely separate yeah. podcast. Definitely. Yeah. You know, when I think when we think about the freedoms we enjoy as Kingsters, you know, I think the people like Recon or other platforms, people like yourselves, I think we have a, we have a responsibility to bring these things to the forefront, you know, and it makes me think, how can we ignore such global issues when they're also interconnected, you know, with a lot of where our fetish identity comes from, you know, who we are as kingsters and what do we do on the king scene? A lot of our kink freedoms uh, and what we now deem as our right to enjoy our kink freely and openly comes from you know, this political activism comes from somebody taking the opportunity to speak up and to fight the good fight. Um, if we didn't have it, I mean, we're 
would we be now? You know, one of the things I think we shouldn't um, be naive about is, of course, as the world is changing, I sometimes feel like we are potentially, the general public is regressing. We fought for a lot of rights and freedoms, but it's almost like they're saying to us, like, hold on a minute now, you've got too much freedom. Mm. And they're trying to, they're trying to pull the reins in a little bit. And as someone like, uh, again, from someone who's so immersed and travels around quite a lot, I can see these conservative ideas of these conservative constructs actually being forced on us again. So we cannot sit down idly and think somebody else is going to come up and make a noise and make a fuss and fight the fight. We must continue to do it. Otherwise, in the next three to five years, I, I'm warning you here today, in the next three to five years, it will change very quickly. I think it's, it's interesting as well in terms of looking at how the, how the struggle and sacrifice has shifted. So now, you know, the archetype masculine cisgender white gay man is in a position of power. And that means that, you know, maybe his view of the struggle. I know I know gay men who are very open about the fact that they don't really have an issue, uh, interest in uh, queer issues or in trans rights or things like that, because it doesn't concern them. And they're, and they're quite happy to live their heteronormative life. And they, I pass no judgment on them. But it's interesting to meet someone who openly admits that and doesn't necessarily say it's a fault. They just say it's a reality. I, I don't really have any interest. And the thing is, is I think now it's it's very easy for it's it would be lovely, wouldn't it, if the fight was over? It'd be lovely if we didn't have to fucking talk about these horrible issues and admit the in, inadequacy of society to meet our needs and our growing needs. The fact that there are people who are getting angry about things like pronouns and you know, uh, ways of expressing gender clearly shows that there is so much more to do. And it's not going to happen by us sitting there saying, isn't it awful what JK Rowling says? Right. That's not, that's not the conversation. It's how do we support these people? You know, how do we support people going through issues with their gender, for example? And it's something that it's a, I'm using gender as an example, but there's lots of different issues that face our community. We, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to list them all, otherwise we'll be here until six o'clock. But it's the idea that, you know, we can live in our own little bubble and that's fine. But isn't it better to try and expand our bubble, to try and make others welcome in our bubble? I don't know if that's the right analogy, but it's it's looking at how how politics can free us and how politics is a, is a route to progress, not uh, not opposition to it. I mean, we often talk about, you know, being such a welcome and opening community. And how can we be welcoming and opening if we don't try to understand or begin to make an effort to understand the other people who are the non-us that come into the scene or into our king spaces? You know, if you want to be welcoming and opening to them, we have to first I can't even say be a little more open-minded. We have to be a lot more open-minded than we are currently. If we're not open-minded, who is? If if people in our community are not open-minded, yeah. then it's it's kind of like a it's a joke. It's a joke, really, isn't it? If yeah. if we can we can accept we can accept that someone lives their life as a gimp. He eats out of a bowl. Uh, he does everything his master says, but we're not going to talk about the right for someone else to identify as a female or a male. I just think that's kind of crazy how we will put our own interests and our own lifestyles, even if they are 
completely what would be seen as you know atypical or or, um, or not non-conventional and our right to lead them. But when it comes to fighting for other people who have totally valid identities, the tumbleweed, uh, you can't see it because it's a podcast, but the tumbleweed is going past now. <laughs> no and I'm like, yeah, they are. Don't, don't, don't expect people to fight for you if you're not going to fight for them. It's, it's solidarity is a, is a verb. To be, solid, to be in solidarity is a verb. It's not a noun. It's something you have to yeah. do. What I thought was really great was, you know, um, I want to say thank you for sharing some of the feedback you got from other people um, with us because it was really good. And I have to say it was more than just surprising that the people who took the opportunity to write were so positive. We often find that most times people take to pen when they want to shout about something or when they disagree with something you'll definitely have more of that than support and i mean like one of some somebody wrote you know thanks for bringing politics and particularly anti-fascist framing into the mix you know and i think it's good that so many people shared the sentiment and thought it was one of the best articles they've read on the recon blog for a long time and it was interesting because i've also got something very similar from a few other people who have contributed articles for us as well that have written to me to say oh my god this is really great and it's about like high time that somebody brings politics on this level to the forefront so again you know i want to say you know thank you um for doing that i was i was pleasantly surprised with the reactions i got um i didn't really expect to get like because i posted it on my social media i was expecting to get more from my from my own followers and it was interesting because I'd never had so many messages on recon in my life. I, 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 was, I was like, oh, wow, hi. But no, in all seriousness, um, I received, I think I received around 70 or 80. Uh, 20 of them were probably just like, well done on the article, nothing more. But some yeah. people really spoke. Uh, there was one person notably who spoke about, you know, uh, it was really interesting to speak about the crossover between the Nazi uniform because that was something that he had some issues with in his own personal life. And it was, it was a, it was, you know, a relief for someone else to talk about it, but there were also lots of people. Um, and I'll let you obviously continue with some more, more of the comments, but, um, that were really happy to see politics being brought onto recon. And I felt personally, I mean, it's not just about me, but personally, I did feel validated. I, I was worried when, when the article had been published and I thought, what happens if there is a massive backlash and, there's all these issues that result from this article and I only received positivity and it made me feel validated, but also thought good, good, because I, I wanted to believe, I wanted to believe that people cared about politics enough, but to have 50 people write to me to t tell me about how it made them feel and how it made their views feel validated. I felt I was like, good, I am in the right place. Yeah. You know? And, and in, and I've got questions for you on two separate uh, comments. And the first one, you know, that uh, someone wrote in, what you wrote in your recon post resonates with me. I often feel conflicted about this myself, especially as a bluff member. And my understanding is he's probably talking about wearing the bluff uniform. And maybe this for him, like I said, might be for many people a trigger as to... <sighs> the history of this uniform or what it could potentially represent. And I think it's quite interesting that, I mean, clearly we know that people who 
enjoy this kink, really love it. There's something that's really very strong um, that resonates with them. But he's also somehow triggered by it. Um, why do you think that would be? I think I remember seeing this comment and I remember replying to him. And, and I think it's interesting because the fact that he was triggered by it is sometimes it's if you look at, you know, the the bluff uh, uniform and the leather culture and all these things there, obviously in the article, there were crossovers. The fact that this man was triggered was exactly what I wanted. I wanted there to be um, an internal reflection on some people's parts. And I imagine there was many more and people did not message me. And there was just I wanted people to have a internal reflection as to, you know, just an acknowledgement of the crossovers that are there. They might not be present in their, in their conscious thinking or even in their unconscious. Um, I think that this, this man or men like him would be triggered was because I think because the leather community is quite an established community and it's often seen as the reference of kink. I mean, when you think of kink, you think of leather daddy, right? And because it's quite um, almost like a pop culture reference, especially with like Tom of Finland, as I've mentioned before, it's kind of like a, quite a stable uh, fetish. You know, so if I turned around to my mum and said, I am leather man, she'd go, oh, okay, cool. If I said, ah, oh, I, I do this kind of play, it could be more shocking. So it's almost like the accepted version. And for mm -hmm. me to challenge the accepted version of kink and, if, and, and a version in which much older people are involved, I think it must be triggering because maybe it's something that he'd never thought about. And when he did begin to think about it, I think it, it's, if you feel so attached to a community and people launch, not necessarily an attack, but maybe a critique or maybe a comment. And it's not something that you've considered, but your life is this community. And this is something that you've held so dearly. And it's not something a connection that you've made or a connection maybe you've brushed off or connection that connection you've ignored. It is marking. I mean, I'm going to make very brief reference to this. But in the puppy community, obviously, there are issues with uh, other nefarious acts. I won't mention them. And when you talk to people about it, a lot of people don't want to talk about it and are quite triggered by it because it's something that's scary and unknown and, 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 and dangerous to the community. Yeah. Um, and I think it's something similar, obviously, not to the same extent, but linking something so negative and toxic as fascism to something that this man clearly cares so much about and has so much of an influence in his life, it... it it would lead to some self-questioning. I mean, inevitably, and it, that depends on different levels and different reasonings. But I'm really happy that this man contacted me and we had a, quite a long discussion afterwards. And I basically, I'm not going to say what I said to him. It's private. It's a private message. But I found it interesting um, how he was so open to listen to what I had to say, even though I am not part of that community. Uh, I found that really, uh, really refreshing. That's really good. So, uh, just one more comment from somebody else who says, I hate politics. It makes my blood boil with all the injustices. Yeah, you know, with all the injustices that come from our current political climate. But I do see it as a necessary evil in order to make the positive changes we need in today's society. Do you have a suggestion regarding that? And I think this is also something that I'm really glad that the article would do is to make people understand that we actually need it. We need to discuss politics. We need politics in our lives. Okay, yes, there's a there's a moment, there's a place and a time for discussing everything. And no one's saying that you should be discussing it while you're 
in the dark room, you know, and lying in a sling with your legs in the air and getting fisted or, you know, um, mm. But there is a very important need for this discussion. I think I think that it definitely is an important need for it. And yes, politics does make my blood boil too. Um, and I think that's I've used that anger and frustration and powerlessness to 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 speak about it, to use that as a motivation. Um, and I think you know the idea of speaking about politics. One of the things that I do, you know, I I, I work in a hotel, um, and I remember there was a really interesting day. It was the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Paris from Nazi Germany, from, from the Nazi forces. And that day I spoke with nearly every customer about, oh, did you know today's the day? I showed them a picture of the famous shopping street in Paris called Rue de Rivoli. It's like Oxford Street, for example, with a Nazi flag. And I said, that was 75 years ago today. And it's about placing politics uh, cleverly. And talking about it in a clever way. I mean, in terms of the comment of this uh, this man, um, we do we need to talk about politics in order to advance the conversation. Um, and there are things that we can do. I talk about it in the in the um, article. I try not to be completely defeatist. It's this idea that, in fact, we do have a choice here. We have a choice of the conversations we have. We have a choice of the way we lead these conversations. Um, and what these conversations actually do in real life, because we can talk all we want. Um, but I spoke about, you know, acts of co-solidarity. I spoke about different things that we can be doing to counter the effects of fascism. But the things that I talk about in the article about the, you know, the ways that organizations we can support and, and ways of thinking are applicable to so many other areas. It's about feeling empowered politically. It's about feeling empowered and confident enough to understand political nuances that are too easy to just brush over you know so i i think it's also about nurturing a level of politics a personal politic a personal politic about where do i actually stand on this issue you know um and i think that that, that hopefully the article did that um i've just a few more questions mm, sure. and one is you know thinking about why should we talk politics in king circles we'll probably come to we've we've been to this several times but i want to get your answer on this why should we talk politics in king circles you know when someone says i don't want to know you know do you think they're completely just turning a blind eye to you know global changes around them or are they just in their moment of escapism my response would be, why not? Why not? There's no rules about what we can talk about. You know, the whole idea is that when you talk about, if you're in a pub, for example, you don't talk about religion, you don't talk about politics, but we're in a kink space. We're creating this own space. So if we want to create a space where we all feel comfortable, politics has to be a part of that. I do think that some people may feel um, that they don't necessarily want to talk about politics, either because they're worried that maybe their views might not be woke enough for maybe a younger generation or perhaps they don't know enough uh, and they don't want to seem stupid which is totally legitimate and in many respects it's sometimes better not to open your mouth and chat absolute bullshit that you've read off some random page unless you know what you're talking about especially if it's about serious issues um in in terms of you know direct politics and by that i mean talking about presidential candidates or specific actions of a politician it can be very divisive and sometimes the community already has enough drama and division so i understand why people don't want to talk about 
specific issues that can be really, you could just imagine you're with your friends, you're having a lovely evening. And then someone mentions the fact that this politician voted on this. And then it goes really far. And by the end of the evening, you've had to either defend your political position, which has nothing to do with the relationship you have with your friends, or you've even possibly even lost friends over something that is in fact just a personal opinion. So I think it's okay to disagree. And I understand why people don't want to bring that into a kink setting. It's legitimate, but I don't think it is right for those people to silence and shame others who wish to talk about those issues. And I am not forcing anyone to talk about anything they don't want to talk about. I'm just saying, I'm talking about this. Who wants to have a chat? I think having these chats and discussions is really important. Deciding when you do them is also really important. I think we should also acknowledge that, you know, there are, this is a global issue when we talk about fetish and the correlation between fetish and fascism and also fetish and anti-fascism, you know, and fighting against. What would be your thoughts on an organization like Antifa? It's an interesting one. So I say now I'm not affiliated with any Antifa groups. Um, that's not out of a deliberate choice not to be. It's just because I haven't really been organized enough to do that. Um, oh, sorry. One, 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 one sec. Maybe it might be good to just explain to our listeners what Antifa is. Uh, Antifa is a leftist uh, anti-fascist organization and political movement. Um, they were founded in the United States. Um, although I say they were founded, it's more of a decentralized movement. It's it's kind of like a, a franchise almost of some sorts. Um, and their main objection um Hang on, I've made a massive mistake. They were not founded in the United States. It actually comes from a German thing, I think. Uh -huh. um, so Antifa is a leftist anti-fascist organization and um, a political movement advocating uh, anti-racism. Um, it was founded uh, in Germany with uh, Anti-Fascista Action, I think it's called. Uh, it's quite, you may have seen some of the stickers around. They have a black flag and a red flag, and it's in a little circle logo. Um, it's, I say it's founded, it's a very decentralized, uh, organization or movement. Uh, it's not, it wouldn't be the same as something like Extinction Rebellion that has a very specific structure and different groups that work together. It's very much, they were very much autonomous. Um, so as you can probably tell from the, um, from the name, anti-fascist action is what Antifa is. So, um, they are, they use a mixture of non-violent and controversially violent tactics to get their message across. So they are often their main people who they were fighting uh, are, you know, far right extremism. So neo-Nazis, white supremacists, the KKK, these kind of people. Um, however, there are some, you know, uh, members of the Antifa uh, affiliates who do have issues with wider law enforcement. Um, so, you know, they're, there are links between Antifa and Anika, uh, Anarchy and the kind of black block, black block movement, uh, which are seen often in demonstrations covered in black with their black and red flags. Um, personally, I'm not part of any Antifa organization. Uh, this is not necessarily a choice. I just haven't really found a need to be part of it. Um, I don't agree with the use of violence uh, for to achieve political change. However, uh, with that said, uh, I think that there are times where uncomfortable resistance, civil disobedience, and 
violent action can yield interesting results. I don't necessarily say it's a protective measure, and I think breaking the law often goes against uh, your own, you know, in many ways, your own values, but also in terms of public opinion. Um, in terms of the portrayal of Antifa, very recently we've had Donald Trump, who uh, after the uh, disturbances in Charlottesville, um, South Carolina, North Carolina, uh, spoke about there being good and bad people on both sides. I'll make it very, very, very clear of my opinion on this. Being an anti-fascist is not the same as being a fascist. It's not. It's like saying far right extremists and far left extremists are the same. So for me personally, this is how I view it. Far right extremism led to genocide. Far left extremism led to the weekend and workers' rights. So I think there has to be, you know, the way that the, demon, the demonization of leftist movements is actually quite an interesting topic. If you look at the demonization of generally socialism, the term socialist in the United States is something that's not seen as a positive thing. However, if you look at socialism in France or in England, that it has different you know, uh, kind of uh, different ramifications. Personally, I think it is interesting when people have uh, massive objections to anti-fascists. Uh, and I, when I talk about anti-fascists, I also include Antifa in that, but I also talk about other anti-fascist movements. I think it's interesting people have a problem with anti-fascists. I ask those people, what are you doing? What are you doing to challenge anti-fascism? Are you just sitting there and uh, criticizing people who are? And if you are, then maybe that's not the most constructive. I think there are definite critiques that can be made to Antifa. I won't make them because I don't, simply I don't really know an, enough about it. So it's not really for me to comment too much. But I think generally, you know, if people are fighting anti-fascism, hear them out, hear them out. That's it. Cool. Thank you. So my one or two other bits before we come to a close. I know that you've been working uh with a number of groups, one of the things you talked about was working with positive influence. Yeah. And I think you're also working with uh, Fetish Against Fascism, which is a group that you've got some postings and things on Instagram. Yeah. So uh, quick one on positive influence. So positive influence is a platform for puppies and their allies to talk about difficult subjects. So I spoke about uh, HIV prep serophobie. Uh, I don't know how to say that in English. I think in French most of the time. Um, it's a stigma about HIV. Uh, and I spoke about, uh, I've also made another uh, post about um, consent uh, with another puppy. So it's a collaborative project that works with other puppies to talk about important issues. Um, and you can find that at um, Positive Influence with a Z instead of an S, Positive Influence. Um, the other group I talk about um, in the article and I'm part of is uh, UFAF. So it's United Fascists Against, no, United Fetishists Against Fascism. Um, and so I would like to state here that I'm not the only person in this group. I have people that have worked very hard on some of the posts that we have been putting out uh, in light of the uh, French elections. Um, and this group uh, was to kind of speak about fascism, to kind of give it a definition, uh, to talk about why fascism and fetish are linked and how they're linked. Um, and then we had a look at each candidate of the major candidates of the upcoming French election uh, 
and we compared their program word for word uh, to our checklist of fascism. And the checklist of fascism is available on the page. It is a resumption of various different academics' uh, view on characteristics of fascism. Um, and so now uh, we're recording this on the 28th. Uh, Marine Le Pen did not win the election, which is um, welcome news. However, the fight against fascism remains. And the fact that in the first tour of the election, the first round of the election, sorry, there was a larger percentage for the right and far right, uh, including a man named Eric Zimor, um, shows that the work is not done. So for the next post that we will be posting, we'll be talking about solidarity and how we can how we can counter fascism in our daily lives. Um, it was interesting, the establishment of this page did lead to some critiques from people. Uh, the critiques have been taken on board. We're always happy to discuss our methods and what we do. Um, but I found that generally uh, people were very responsive towards uh, what we were trying to achieve. And uh, I'll continue with my work on Instagram, but also in real life. What would your final words to readers of your article and listeners of this podcast be who potentially find this topic triggering and what would you say to our kingster community about the importance of recognizing and understanding the correlation between fetish and anti-fascism well i would thank the people that i took the time to read my article i really appreciate the fact i was given the opportunity by recon to do that but also i think it's you know reading an article that's longer than 300 words for some people is a bit like oh but the fact that people did it and that i had you know a lot of people read it really made me very happy. So I thank them. I think that if people found my article triggering, I think that's a good sign. That's a sign of, of unconscious or conscious engagement on the topic. If you read the article and you didn't have any real feelings, that's, that's fine as well. I think that if people are triggered, I think it's about if they are, it depends how you're triggered. If you're triggered in disagreement with what I say, that is absolutely, that's great because that means that we can have a discussion. That means that you have an opinion on something, which is something that you should share, that you shouldn't be afraid to talk about. And I hope that that conversation can continue um, in private kink circles, but also online and in different avenues. If you read the article and you were in support, then do more, do more, join us, work with us. It's the idea that if you agree that the links between fascism and fetish are uncomfortable and we want to do something about it, then work with us. Not just namely work with the, the group that I've made, but work with your local anti-fascism groups. Um, don't, be, don't run away from it. If, if this is something that stro uh, strikes your interest, write, it, write a counter article, I dare you. Write, write a counter article for me about uh about the article and we can discuss this uh we can continue the the debate i think it's important you know uh, for everyone to have a view on it and i think that that's something that's welcomed in terms of a message uh, to the kink community in general on this subject i think i find it i find it interesting that this art this uh topic hasn't been raised before and i think there are many topics in life that haven't been raised in regards to our fetish lives and I think we can do a lot more. I think we can be talking about a lot more issues. And the link between fetish and fascism is an obvious one. If you've read the article, you will see how obvious it is. But there are less obvious issues going on at play. And I think that we need to have the strength and confidence um, and consideration in our community to speak about issues 
that are hard and speak about issues that we care about. And we shouldn't be ashamed to care about things. That's it. Doug Boy Bailey, a huge thank you to you for, first of all, contributing such an incredibly poignant article and allowing us to publish it. And also for coming on the podcast uh, and talking to us about it. Um, thank you so much for that. Well, and I just have, you know, one final thing to say also to our listeners, you know, when we think about uh, these issues, very often one thing we talked about in the break is how these things will spark conversation and they will spark debate. And we cannot forget how important these conversations and these debates are within our community. And it may not necessarily always have to be specifically about politics, but debate about things which are actually relevant in our lives rather than just continuously, um, you know, talking about sex, sex, sex all the time. It's really interesting. We go to a dinner party or something else or a barbecue and we'll start off on a really good topic, but somehow we always end on talking about sex, filth, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. And not saying that that's a bad thing, but we shouldn't also forget the important topics. And as Dog Boy Bailey said in his article and also on the podcast, be that person. Be the person who brings the topic up when you're in the circle and talk about the things that are relevant. You know, if you're that guy that you know that you're able to stir a conversation a particular way, be that person and do it. And let's make sure that we continue to discuss these issues and make our community the strong community we know that it should be. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast. And Dogboy Bailey, we look forward to the next article coming from you, hopefully in the very near future. Bye-bye for now.